Happy Monday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. As always, my co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Strantz, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And, of course, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I hope everyone had a great weekend. I hope everyone is, uh, you know, doing their best to get around in the snow. Another, (laughs) just another weekend. Another eventful, dramatic, frustrating, disappointing weekend for the Vancouver Canucks. There's been a lot of them this season, Drancer. Well... So I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do, which is get upset. I'm not going to well, we'll yell. See. We'll see about that. I'm not going to raise my voice. Calm and measured. All right. The Vancouver Canucks are impossible to be disappointed in at this point because that 5-1 loss to Winnipeg was bad. But it's the same game. It's the same game that this team plays Constantly, like, I don't see a huge difference, frankly, between their performance in that game and their performance against the Calgary Flames and their performance against the Minnesota Mm -hmm. Wild and their performance against the Arizona Coyotes. Sometimes they score some goals and win. Sometimes they give up a ton and lose. Sometimes they give up a ton and still win. Right? Like, the only thing we're pretty confident about right now when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks is they're not going to win in regulation. Haven't done that in 23 days. It's the same game. It's the same game every time. Opponents come into Vancouver or Vancouver goes out on the road and they slice through Vancouver's defensive structure and pepper Vancouver with like at least 15 glorious chances. The Winnipeg Jets, it was, you could set your watch to it. It was like enter the zone, button hook, pop pass, odd man opportunity. Rinse and repeat. They had one every five minutes. They had one every five minutes, obviously most notably on the 4 nothing goal, but there were a ton that were saved. And yeah, the Canucks didn't generate a ton of chances. They got outshot early. They often get outshot early. They often get, you often see a stretch where the Canucks just get outshot 10-1 for, for a series of minutes. Like, there's nothing different about that game or the Calgary game, except that Vancouver spotted itself an early 2 nothing lead, blew that lead within the the confines of a single period and then managed to win in a shootout. But like they weren't good in that game. They weren't bad against Winnipeg. They're always who they are far from good enough because they have nothing to fall back on in terms of an ability to control games five on five. Like it's the same movie. It's the same game. It's all the same stuff. It's all the same, not close to good enough. And then, and then of course we're treated to the, Insider reports or the after hours interviews in which the sheer failure of the organization to grapple with the plight that this team is in shines through, right? And, And look, I've been pretty patient with this management group. I've praised a lot of their moves. I think they've identified good hockey players relatively affordably. But the big picture stuff still troubles me, right? I mean... Up to and including the fact that Bo Horvat was even offered an extension. Like, how are you how, how are you sinking more commitments into this group? Like, how? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, Quinn Hughes is not untouchable now, okay? There's a recognition that the group might have to unload a core piece because it's too hard to offload 
all the players taking up money that aren't good at, enough. At least one core piece in Elliot Friedman's world. So, so now what? Now what? 15 months after we were yelling about it daily, the fact that this group, this team that's been built, that's both not good enough and impossible to disassemble, like now that impossibility is is something that national media talks about. It's like that recognition is dawning on management now. We've been talking about this for two years, Jamie. Well, like we've been at least talking about it since the start of last season on an almost everyday basis. Yep. Like to the point where people were like, you're getting repetitive. And I'm like, no, I'm developing a theme. <laughs> I'm developing a theme. So, I mean, yeah, of course. Of course it's difficult to disassemble this roster. Like that's that was locked in in the summer of 2021. This is this has been true for a long time. And now and now we're doing the it's not gonna be a teardown. It's not gonna be a teardown. I saw you make this point on Twitter. If you're if you're trading core pieces, <laughs> what are you calling yeah, it? If if you've boxed yourself into a position where the only you recognize that your team, the mix is not working and you need to change it, but the only way you can do it is by trading core pieces because nobody wants your other pieces, like why are you dancing around the idea of a rebuild? Why why are you being coy? about it why not just acknowledge the reality the big flashing lights that are staring you in the face saying you need to rebuild well and, and they're not just staring you at the it, it, you know they're not just staring at you they're heading headlong toward you on the highway right and and here's the thing like do you want to know do you want to know what 15 months from now the national media the obvious point that the national media is going to finally catch up to and that the organization belatedly we're going to hear is considering a tear it down rebuild because, because listen, like at the end of the day, the, the existential threat that this club's grappling with now is not different from the one we've been identifying all along, right? It's that the money that's committed long term in this organization is committed long term to players who are older. Not, yeah, sure, they might fit onto a roster that's sixth most in average age, right? Um, you know. For forgetting about the statistician who drowned in the lake in a lake with the average depth of one meter, <laughs> right? But but seriously, like you, Miller and Oliver Ekman Larson are not going to be as good going forward as they are today, a relative term. But they're not like they're, you're going to incur diminishing returns, and those are the deals you have cost certainty on. Plus Hughes, Hughes probably is going to be decent value throughout the life of his deal. Pedersen's going to get more expensive. Horvat, if you're keeping him, is going to get more expensive. Like, there's no world where this team levels up organically. Where, like, a passive approach to a young team nets you greater returns, right? This team's, in fact, heading the other direction. Where the collection of bad money is going to age and become increasingly inefficient as your good young players get more expensive and you don't have a reliable source of cheap labor to fill in around them without, you know, nailing a Dallas Stars 2017 quality draft class or, you know, getting lucky on a Kuzmenko on an every year basis out of Europe. I mean, your, your margins are so slim if you're going to avoid this team built as an end of window contender but having accomplished squat goes through sort of the natural process that's now built in. Like, this is built in. This is fait accompli. This is where this is going inexorably without bold moves to change, you know, the, the ghosts of future past. Like, tell me, tell me, ghosty, <laughs> are these mere shadows of what's to come? Can my future not be changed? Like, 100%. Like, look, this is where we're at, okay? Very much in line with the season. 
The Canucks are in their nightgown, in a graveyard, accompanied by a ghost dressed like the Grim Reaper, and the Grim Reaper is pointing <laughs> straight up at a headstone, and that headstone says, Rebuild! Rebuild! And this is obvious at this point. Like, this is obvious. Obvious. And it's just, it's just, do we really have to go through the next 15 months where we ignore the obvious in classic Canucks fashion until it, it is absolutely, you know, a, a bony hand pointing at the, at the head? Like, do we have to get to that point? Do we have to go through the whole Christmas Carol motions? I'm just thinking, you know. Can the, we fast forward? You know the scene in A Christmas Carol also during the uh, the Ghost of Christmas Futures one where the people who have looted Scrooge's home are kind of like, they're, they're trying oh, yeah. to sell off all the goods. That's Classic. like the other general managers like, what can we get <laughs> off this team? You know what I mean? What, what, will, they, will they give us a first to take Connor Garland? Well, what, what are they going to do? What, how can we take advantage of this? Oh, that Quinn Hughes is still warm. Well, I'm not paying extra for the warmth. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Oh, I love, I love my, head. I love my Dickensian references. Let's go. Yeah. Christmas Carol is great. By the way, a Muppet Christmas Carol. Fantastic. Oh, that's that's directly what I'm quoting. Fantastic. I watched it two days ago. There you it go. was it delivered. It it delivered and then some. Anyway, anyway, at this point, I don't think Canucks fans are to continue in this Dickensian trend. Yes. Holding a bowl and asking Canucks management for more. <laughs> Please, Canucks, can I have some more of this 26th in the NHL in point percentage gruel? It's barely nourishing. It's not sustaining hope at this point. And, and you know, it was troubling. Like, it was troubling to hear the reports, to see Patrick Alvin speak on After Hours, you know, reiterating the young team thing, um, like the young team things irrelevant. <laughs> the arrow's not trending up yeah, or pointing I, up. And, you know, at some point, at some point, I just want to see, you know, I don't even need a plan. I just want to see honest grappling with reality. Right? Like well, that's yeah. what I want to see. So here's because I so From obviously there was a lot of fan base. There was a lot of frustration on Saturday, right? Understandably so, from fans who Sat, and by the way, this is the second time this exact scenario has played out, right? Canucks executive doing a nationally televised interview after on After Hours loss. after a debacle, a debacle, a 5-1 loss in which your a, a, a jersey gets thrown on the ice, right? Like, that's the second time it's happened. Yeah. The second time it's happened already this year. Anyways, so you're, what, you're, you're <laughs> wanting to hear something that reassures you. You're wanting to hear something that convinces you to have a little faith to get reinvested if you're if you're starting to uh fall out of investment or just stay invested in the future of this team and I don't think Patrick Alvin delivered that now the the counter argument the pushback to that is well what's he supposed to say right it's it's what you want him to have a powerpoint plan ready to go a 5.5 year plan that's going to detail how they're going to win the Stanley Cup no I'm not expecting that I actually think the bar is much much lower than that I think it's pretty straightforward come on Admit that you're in a really tough spot. Admit how frustrated you are with how the team has performed. Say, hey, we're going to have to make some really difficult decisions. We might have to make some really painful decisions, but we're prepared to do that. We're prepared to do whatever is necessary to get this team on track to winning a Stanley Cup. Just acknowledge what we can all see playing out in front of us. First and foremost, do that. Rather than beating around the bush, rather than being coy about it, well, we're just going to keep building. You know, you're always building. Well, are you saying that you're in the same position as teams that are, you know, in the top three in their division right now and that, hey, every team's always building in the NHL because you're not there. You're not there. And you have to be, before you do anything else, 
before you get it on the right track, before you fix the problems, you have to be able to acknowledge what the problems are, to talk honestly about them. And I don't think doing that would endanger your relationship with your fans. I don't think it would tip your hand to other general managers around the NHL. I think it would actually give fans a lot of confidence if they were just upfront about the fact that major changes need to happen and they're prepared to do it. You don't need to tell us what those changes are going to be. You don't need to say, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z by the trade deadline. Hey, we're going to be a Stanley Cup contender in three years. I understand that. That's not realistic. That's not what you're going to be able to do. But you can give fans an awful lot more than what was presented on Saturday night. A big part of a general manager's job is to build confidence and sell hope especially in a Canadian market where the media demands are a little bit higher mm-hmm. and the scrutiny, right? Like you can't just say something and then be inconsistent with your statement five months later. People remember what you're saying. And, you know, Alvin's got some growth to do in that area and more than anything, that's what I think showed through on Saturday. Um, you know, this team, like we've now hit my magical 30 games mark where I can begin to talk with some certainty about what this team's true talent level is. And here's where we're at. Here's where we're at at the 30-game mark. This team is bottom 10 by every relevant metric at 5-on-5, right? Do you prefer scoring chances? Do you prefer shot attempts? Do you prefer goals? Do you prefer the actual bottom line stats, bottom 10, across the board? And all those stats are consistent with one another because they often are over large enough samples. 30 games gives us a large sample. This team has some strengths. We know that, right? There are some really talented one-shot scorers in this lineup. Mm -hmm. There is a lights-out power play. I think once Thatcher Demko gets back, this team can rely on having above-average goaltending. But it only matters if you're good enough for those edges to count. This team's not. They're not. They're just not. I'm sorry. Not even close. This is a bottom 10 5-on-5 team. You, You can't overcome... 47%, right? Because what does the 47% of of control imply? That the opposition's getting 53. That you are failing to create an environment on an every game basis where you are more likely than your opponent to generate the next goal. And if that's true, if that's true, you're always going to be trying to cut it a little too fine. Power play is going to get it done some nights. Canucks shooters are going to get it done some nights. There's some wonderful talent Mm -hmm. on this roster. They're going to get it done some nights, but consi- like over the course of 82 games, you know what you are? 88 to 92 points. And and the Canucks are 26th in point percentage at the moment, and I don't think they're going to end up there. I don't think this team is going to be any less than 10th in the West. So, okay, this is interesting. Because you look, I think the, at least as far as the Canucks are concerned, the standings are really starting to kind of look how you would think they are going to look, right? As you said, 26 right now in points percentage. To be fair, tied with Nashville, basically tied in a statistical tie with Ottawa and Montreal. Oh, so, so they're tied so for 20. 23 through 26 are all basically tied right now. Got it. It's it's Ottawa, Montreal, Nashville, Vancouver, all essentially tied. Not good company, by the Not way. Not great company. But I would say... The only team there in that group that I say, oh, I would bet quite easily that the Canucks will pass them are Montreal, right? Because I think we're seeing the bottom fallout of Montreal. Their their record is starting yeah, no, to, Mon- to match their underlying performance. And you look that farther down, right? Chicago had a, some early season success. They're, they're a disaster now. You know, Arizona's falling down. All of the teams you well, thought were going to be really bad are sinking to the bottom of the standings. Let's cut it this way. 
there are four teams in the West who the Canucks are ahead of by point percentage. So, you know, you can look at and say that they're three points out. How many points out are they? I, don't know, I know you like, like to track that. <laughs> no, no. Tell, tell me the actual number. Let me, find, let me figure it out here. You, know, you, you love to know the actual number, Jamie. Yes, I do. It's true, you'd like to say. It is. Facts only. Um, That's not on, We don't do that on our show. They are. I have time for both oof, facts and creative oof. interpretation. They're five points out. Okay. Oof. Oh, whatever. That's five points out is not as bad to me as this. As this. By point percentage, there are four teams in the West who they are better than. Anaheim, San Jose, Chicago, and Arizona. And Arizona. I mean, that's that's the Canucks are in terms of the parade ahead of only the clown car. Yeah, like, and like, I think it's going to be a battle. I think basically what we're seeing is they're finding their level in the standings. They're probably going to battle with Nashville for 11th and 12th in the West. Uh, I think they're going to be better than that. So who do you think they're going to pass in the West, then? Because they got to jump over teams to be better than that. Yeah, well, first who would you of all, bet first on them all, passing? T- tonight's opponent is not very good. Yep. The St. Louis Blues, something's gone awry there. Something's gone amiss. And, and you know what it is? It's their defense. And there's a lot of money locked up in that defense. Uh, not unlike Vancouver, right? The... St. Louis defense is long in the tooth now and can't reliably help them control play. And so the seams show everywhere. The defensive mistakes show everywhere. And Ryan O'Reilly no longer being a top of the lineup driver, which, you know, he was one of the best at it for like eight years. So I'm Mm. not saying this in any way that's like disrespectful. Like I still think Ryan O'Reilly is a tremendous player. I just don't think he is a Selkie caliber top line center anymore at this stage of his career. And that's given them, like the Canucks, no baseline of control to fall back on. They still have some wonderfully talented offensive players. They still have decent goaltending in Jordan Pennington. They have good special teams. They're a polished professional group, something that they're better at than Vancouver is. So, you know, it's not like they're without hope. It's just that they're not, they don't have that baseline either. They're going to go through stretches that kill them like they did at the start of the season. They're also going to have some stretches that they look okay. But I don't know that it. I, the, I agree the Blues with you. and the Canucks are peers. Sure. But again, so. The Canucks and the Nashville Predators so maybe you are peers. Want to, okay, maybe you want to extend it to those three teams will be fighting for 10th, 11th, 12th. Well, I, I am not. That's, where, that's maybe how I would look at it. I'm not calling LA safe. So everyone knows how high I've been on this LA rebuilding project, but mm-hmm. I think there's some softness in their record. I know they're second in the Pacific right now. I think they're going to be very hard pressed to maintain that position. I think the Calgary Flames are going to figure it out. I think the LA Kings are going to be the team in the West that falls out. And once that happens, once Calgary and and LA flip, I think the West is going to be relatively stable. Like I I think we've now seen the cream rise to the uh, rise to the top in the West. It took us a couple weeks after American Thanksgiving, and there's still one more flip that I expect. But in on a true talent basis, now that we're through 30 games. I think LA's in a, in a lot of trouble unless they can figure out their goaltending and start really manufacturing uh, a lot more offense than they have to this point five on five. And I think um, and and then there you there you have it. You're going to have Winnipeg. You're going to have Minnesota. You're going to have Colorado. Yeah. And you're going to have Dallas in the central. And then I think you're going to have Seattle, which is painful, painful to say. The Vegas. Flames. The Oilers and Vegas in the West. And then, I mean, we'll see. Like, the LA Kings obviously could upset the apple cart. I won't be stunned if Seattle fades a bit, considering their shooting luck. Um, and and look, I don't even think Vancouver's, like, next up. Like, very much, very much, they're, uh, you know. The, my aspirational take is that the Canucks, if they get hot, might charge for ninth. 
You know, I know I've been saying well, yeah. that as a joke, well, like, but LA, it's like very I, much I think I, that's their I can buy LA falling out 100% because I see the weakness in their statistical profile you're talking about. But I, I think I wouldn't bet on the Canucks jumping over them. I certainly wouldn't bet well, on that. I think they're better than the Canucks too. But I think that it, that's sort of the, the Canucks' level, right, is going to be that LA is going to enter the mix and, and you're going to see Vancouver be ninth or 10th. Especially once Demko gets back and, and you know, presuming that he gets back to something approximating the level he's been the last two years. I think the Canucks will have enough between good goaltending and the penalty kill and the, the shooting ability of their highest end players to find a way into ninth or tenth. Anyways, I think the big picture is we're seeing... The, the standings by the way, are this sorting is not themselves. good news. This no, is not exactly. good news. Exactly. The standings are sorting themselves out. If I believed they were actually on a true talent basis, the 26th best team in the NHL, I'd be way higher on their future prospects because, you know, then I you're, don't know. They, I mean, still an underwhelming truly. draft. Like, if they finish 25th, so what? That's your your eighth eighth best lottery odds? So you're you're not you're you're outside of the what the you can true high end talent. No, but twenty but twenty six you you first of all can jump up. Yes, which, I agree. Which matters to me. Yep. And and I mean I don't think you're necessarily outside the highest end talent. I think the Mitchkov factor is a fascinating one. We'll see how exactly that plays out and how teams weight uh, that particular um, wrinkle, that risk. You know, I, I think there's some really, really good players. I think there's enough uncertainty. You could see some odd stuff happen. You'll see, you know, the center get reached for. You'll see the undersized guy fall a bit. I mean, I think there's absolutely six or seven really great players at the top of this draft class. I think if you're in that sort of area, you're you're set. Yeah, I, I think it's going – I think it, what, when I look at what, it if, – If the Canucks draft seventh or sixth, I think that's a huge win – and the marginal value of that above drafting 11th or 12th is significant, particularly provided the teams don't, you know, as a group, make a ton of mistakes on Zach Benson. So right now, the bottom six teams are Chicago, Anaheim, Columbus, San Jose, Arizona, Philly. Yeah, you're, they're you're, set. You're not getting You're not, getting you're not going below them. No, you're not. Montreal is going to fall down. So I think those six plus Montreal is going to be your bottom seven. And then it's basically who's going to finish eighth, ninth. Canucks, Nashville, St. Louis. Maybe you want to put Ottawa there. That's the mix, though. So I think they're 100%. I don't look at any of those teams that I just listed and say, well, the Canucks are way better than them. Right? No, I'm talking no, no. about the next year. So I think they're 100% in the mix for that eighth, ninth spot. Yeah, now, which, maybe they, which end, up, bad. Which maybe they bad. end up jumping up to 10, 11 or something like that. But, like, eighth is in the mix. Which, Very much so here. Which is what I'm saying, though. Like, I think if this Canucks team was materially worse, I'd actually be sure. higher on them. Sure. Right? Like, at least that would be like, hey, that's good. Because where you really don't want to be is here. In the mushy middle with no obvious plan out. And I think that's why the age thing, the like sixth youngest team thing, yeah, that, annoys me so much. It really rankles me, to be honest. And this isn't you the agree? first time. Well, this isn't the first time he's brought it up. Right. I forget exactly which interview it was or which appearance it was earlier in the year, but he's mentioned it before. And on air, it's, it's in a way, I almost feel like I'm nitpicking a little bit, but I just don't understand what we're supposed to take away from that comment. So I do, and this is why it rankles me. Okay. I think what we're supposed to take away from it is this is a young team making young team mistakes and, in fact, doesn't require as much surgery as some might say because they'll improve naturally as they become an older team. That's the implication, and I think that's who would you say, absolute bucket. Who would you say is there uh, – which players – can you blame their performance on youth on this team? Like, is Niels Hoaglander the only one? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think so. What? Is JT Miller? No. Oliver Ekman Larson? No. Tyler Myers? No. Elias Pettersson? No. He's in his fifth year. Brock Besser? No. Bo Horvat? No. Ilya Mikheyev? No. You're telling me any of those guys? Oh, they're underperforming because they're young. No. That's not why they're making mistakes. That's not why they're struggling to win games because they're young. Those guys are all vets. Connor Garland? Come on. Like, the one player you could say, well, he's still learning the ropes in the NHL. And now, Andre Kuzmenko, it's a little different category, sure. Yeah. Vasily Podkolzin, he's not even playing for them right now. But it's basically Niels Hoaglander. Guy who's getting in the lineup on a consistent basis, so you could look at and say youth is an issue there. It's one guy, and it's not even a key player for you. It's not even something you were relying on to really produce for you this year. And if you were, that's a tough plan, right? I mean... Anyway, Hoaglander can be relied on to produce for this team. That's that's the funny part. The other thing with the six youngest. He, he might be making youthful mistakes, but he also should be far more established in this lineup if they actually want to control play, right? Like, he brings what this team needs, and yet he's the first guy out after every single turnover. It's wild. The other thing with the six youngest remark that I don't – it kind of just sets my, uh, like – I don't it's, know, nonsense it's, it, alarms going a little bit. Is it bit. your anything can happen? Well, maybe it might be, actually, so the way you got, it triggers you got me. anything can happen. We've got the yeah. average age. Because you look at the average age distribution in the NHL, and it's like basically every team averages out to 27. <laughs> well, seriously. <laughs> right. It's like the NHL is 27 years old, and it's like maybe you're like 27.1 or 27.8, but yeah. basically every team is 27. And, that, and that's the gap between the extremes? Yeah, that's the gap between, like, six youngest and, like, six oldest. Right. So, so it's like, like, okay, you're six youngest, but if you flipped, like, two roster spots, all of a oh. sudden you'd be one of the older teams in the league. So say you have two 27-year-old goalies or two 26-year-old goalies as opposed to having one 35-year-old goalie the way most teams yeah. do, right? Like, yeah, least- the Canucks don't have any super old players. Right. Like, I think... Luke Shen's the oldest at 33. You know, most teams have somebody up 35, 36, 37. Yeah. So they don't have a lot of old guys dragging it up, right? So that that makes a big difference. But it's yeah, just it's not like there's a wealth of young players all coming up together at the same time who will naturally level up without this team needing a dramatic change in direction. And, and I think this is just, you know, we get to it and then it becomes like hazy, unfocused as a result of, like, a few wins. A bunch of overtime wins over some of the worst teams in the league or a shootout win in Calgary. And all of a sudden, it just, like, goes on to the back burner. But the moment they have a performance like they do against Winnipeg, which, by the way, is not a lot different than their performance against these other teams, it it moves back to the front burner and comes up in a froth where this market's, like, disbelief disbelief in this organization's plan, right? The inability of this organization under new management group to convince this market that, in fact, this team is close in any way, right? Like, that's fundamentally where we come to every time this team loses and get away from just a little bit by, by a variety of degrees every time they win a few. But, but here's the thing. They're all the same game, Jamie. It's all the same game. Well, and I mean the the other thing, and we got to take a break soon here. But the other thing I'll say is, I didn't watch that game on Saturday and come away thinking, "Wow, Winnipeg was really impressive." No, wow, that was a great performance by Winnipeg. They played like a professional, functional hockey team. That's what they did, and that was enough for that for the result to look like it did. The one thing, the only thing that they impressed me with was the way that they cut through the Canucks on the rush. Like I thought Vancouver's rush defense was abysmal, but. In past years, Winnipeg hasn't been able to take advantage of teams that way. That, to me, looked like a material change for them. But that's it. That's it. 
um, other than that, I, I completely agree with you. It's like two point shot goals that were only somewhat screened completely change our perception of what that game was. And they shouldn't. We we should know and we do know what this team is. I just think it's important now to hold that in our mind's eye and not get fooled by, oh, they won in overtime twice against San Jose, once against the Arizona Coyotes, mm, and, and, once, and once against Montreal. Um, actually, they're totally fine now. No, they're not. And we all know it. Let's just remember. Uh, we're going to talk more about what Patrick Alvin had to say and some of the reporting around the team. Uh, this text comes in. Drant says, I will not come in, come on here and get mad. Then goes off getting mad for five minutes. Aww. That's not, I thought I was tame. I was. <laughs> you were working up to it. You were working up to I, it. I thought that was as, that was as measured as I get considering we'll, the uh, We'll read more of your text, get more into the discussion. It's Canucks Talk here on Sports at 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, Dan in Fort St. John says, I was listening to the podcast of Friday's show yesterday, and I had to laugh out loud when Dimitri said that the Jets could destroy the Canucks in transition. What a clairvoyant. That's from Dan in Fort St. John. Chalk one up for Dimitri, man. Knows his stuff. There's a reason we have him on. That's a winning take. That is a winning take. A uh, winning take. Here's a, here's a good another bit of Dimitri clairvoyance. Dimitri has Jonathan Taylor on his fantasy team. Uh-oh. And so Jonathan Taylor goes down, and I text him, and I'm just like, man, that's brutal for you. And he's like, check who I just picked up before kickoff, two minutes before kickoff. He, he picked up Deion Jackson. I was like, how do you do it? It's pretty good. How do you do it? That's pretty Unreal. good. Uh, this text comes in. Kevin from Coquitlam. He says, I listened to the interview with Patrick Alvin after the Jets game. All I have to say is, yikes, this was supposed to be the management group that communicates to the fan base. Instead, we have more of the same no plan plan, or they have a plan. They, don't, they just won't tell us. This isn't how you run a major sports team effectively, especially during tumultuous times. It's about the confidence mm-hmm. that the fan base has, right? I mean, I think that's where we've sort of reached this point where, you know, and, and I think the market still believes, like, the sense I get is that obviously there's a, an annoyance that perhaps the team hasn't changed as much as quickly as fans would have liked, right? It, it does feel like that's a sense, but I still think when you get, Rutherford appearances even if fans are like wow what, what why is he saying that about the coach um I still think there's like an understanding that like the resume and the cup rings mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of that still uh resonates I just think Alvin's you know a rookie general manager still he hasn't been through one full cycle in the job and I I just think this is going to be an area for improvement like there has there there's a way to say um there's a way to hold to play your cards without revealing too much while still inspiring confidence it's a tough trick but i think it's an essential skill for a gm in this market to have so the thing that to master not just have when i was thinking about like why the reaction was what it was and you're i think you're you're bang on right that he's learning to communicate in that way which is fair but i was also just thinking about kind of how to sum it up so this is a bit of a tangent but my first job in high school was I was a line cook at the the now defunct Red Robin in North Vanna Marine Drive. Nice. 
a good learning experience for a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, for I me. bet one of the you know every every corporation has the like these are our core values. These are what you need to put into practice every day. One of them at Red Robin was a sense of urgency. <laughs> Right, so it's like even if it's like it's not the rush, it's three o'clock, it's it's downtime, and one person comes in and orders, you know, uh, a, a chicken strips or whatever. Be urgent about it. Don't just oh well, I'll get to that in a second. Be urgent. Have a sense of urgency about everything you do. Like that's what we're asking for here, right? We're asking for a sense of urgency in how they approach this team. That that's that yeah. was the phrase that kept popping to my to mind for me, and I think that's what fans are reacting to. There seems to be a lack of urgency, right? You've talked about a passive approach, a patient approach, whatever it is. This is an urgent situation. It demands an urgent response. It demands a sense of urgency that has not been. I don't want to say it's never been there because we've. I think we've heard some urgent comments. From Jim Rutherford, certainly, but it has not been there consistently enough. My concern is ultimately that this problem, the problem of getting a franchise that has missed the playoffs, what, six of the last seven years, Mm -hmm. that hasn't hosted a playoff home date since 2015, whose best young players are about to get more expensive and whose supporting cast is is too old and locked up for too long. Um a team that doesn't have their full coterie of draft picks in the years to come and is, in fact, is missing three relative to what they should have over the next three years Uh, and also has one of the leanest prospect systems in the sport with a recent first-round pick who has had a tough year and now may miss at least a portion of the World Juniors as he continues to recover from a concussion. I mean, I just... the, The fundamentals here are cracked. Like, cracked. Right? There's none of the things you need to get better fast. And the team's not good now. And the team hasn't been good in recent memory. Well, yeah, and somebody, you know, I was I was reading the teams that were around them in the standings, and this person on sign texted in, of all the teams that Jamie just listed, many of them are explicitly tanking to start a rebuild or have a bunch of young players that have high upside and will likely surpass the Canucks in the next year or two. Or are Nashville. Or are Nashville or St. Louis, which are probably like the two closest but but like, but like for the also, Canucks right now. But St. Louis has a cup to show for it. And Nashville made the finals five years ago. Yeah. Like the Canucks have... <laughs> I mean, come on. What are we talking about, right? Like Nashville also made the playoffs. They made the playoffs last year, got Nashville swept. Nashville made the playoffs last year. And yeah. the year prior. Right? Like St. Louis has... I mean, when was... St. Louis missed like, what, once in the last five years? Six years? Mm-hmm. And they won a cup. So, yeah, I mean, you know, those are analogous situations in that the Canucks are also a team that had been, like, the Canucks are also built like a contender that's sort of trending toward the mushy middle. It's just that the Canucks never contended for it, right? Which, again, it makes this a unique problem, a unique problem that demands an urgent response, Red Red Robin style. Peacock and Norvan, I don't know what this means. Yes, exactly. This would never fly at Red Robin. Uh, It says the Canucks are the Red Robin of the NHL. I don't really know what that means, but I love it. Um, but that's uh, the thing, you know. You I point know. out, you point out. Uh, well, hey, you knew what you were going to get when you walked into that North End Red Robin. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I might, I might. They, they might be the fog and suds of the NHL. <laughs> I will say, this is a dumb Red Robin story, but obviously there was like a Caesar salad. As on opposed the menu. to your smart Red yeah. Robin story, there was a there was a Caesar salad on the menu, okay. and then like the same week, somebody told got the waiter to come back and it was my job to make the salads got the waiter to come back and say uh that was the best caesar salad i've ever had 
compliments to the chef. Okay. And then like two days later, a totally different person sent the waiter back to say, that was the worst Caesar salad I've ever had. And in both situations, I was like, listen, man, we get <laughs> we get giant tubs of the dressing <laughs> and, pre- and pre-cooked croutons, and I throw it all together. It's, it has nothing to do with me, whether you like it or dislike it. It's, it's really, truly out of my hands. Uh, anyways, that's just a little tangent there. But- so, so, no, you know what? I think you've hit on something, though. Okay. The Canucks are that Caesar salad. They're the same Caesar salad. It's the same Caesar salad every time. They're there. It's not a. It's not the best Caesar yes, salad. It was not, not the, the best. And it fact, was not the worst. In either. fact, you were making mushy middle Caesar salad. It's hundred percent right. And and the reaction around it changes so much. But but it's the same thing. It's the same thing every time. And and I think that's sort of where, you know, we come to the the. Rubber meeting the road, right? Like, at some point, at some point, what I think this fan base needs to hear, what I think this franchise actually needs, is to grapple with the fact that the Caesar salad is run of the mill. Yeah. It's a chain. It's a, it's a it's Red a ch- Robin Caesar salad. It's a chain restaurant Caesar. And, you know, at some point, no one wins a cup. No one, no one, no one. Gets big rewards for that Caesar no, salad. There's no Michelin star incoming <laughs> for that Caesar salad. You know, and and so you get to you get to these points where you're even, you know, you're 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 sort of looking for people to blame. Like one thing I noticed on Twitter was a lot of Bo Horvat criticism uh, in the wake of that Winnipeg game. I guess there was a point shot that he screened the the Winnipeg's third goal. Winnipeg's third goal came with Bo Horvat. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? Uh, Dom's in my ear about the Red Robin stuff. Oh, okay, fair enough. So I was just saying in Jamie's ear, is he Jim Rutherford in this analogy? <laughs> that, who's making, he's the, making, who's the, making the Caesar salad? salad? I don't know. Um, then I guess there was like a shift change no, in the middle of making the Caesar salad. Yeah, it doesn't matter who's making the Caesar. It's the same ingredients. You know, like whether Jim replaced Jim or not, <laughs> I assume everyone at Red Robin is named Jamie, by yes, the way. Yes, exactly. It's like a bunch of guys named Jamie. So Jamie replaces Jamie, and guess what? The Caesar salad still sucks. It is what it is. It is what it is. Anyway, um, sorry, I want to come back to this point yes, I was yes. making. Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat, I saw him getting a lot of criticism in the wake of the Winnipeg loss. Two things I want to bring up. One is I saw a lot of criticism because he failed to block a shot when he was in the mid-slot. Do you know how hard it is to block a shot when it's already like when you're 10 feet yeah. away from where it's shot? I mean, come on. Um, I don't think he got out of the way. I think he failed to block a shot that had already traveled like 12 feet before it reached where he was. Secondly, you don't want your center to cheat out to the point, typically speaking, in in zone defensive play, right? Like, where's the winger? There's no winger in frame. There's no winger in frame when that shot is released. Like, it's not Horvat's guy. Secondly, there's the 4 nothing goal where Horvat is seen back-checking and failing to catch Sam Gagne. Horvat's the F1 on that play. Like, watch that play unfold in full. Horvat is the Canucks' deep man. <laughs> As the Jets break out, Kyle Connor pulls that little dipsy-doodle um, pop pass, completely flummoxes Ethan Bear and Connor Garland, and it's a two-on-one. Bo Horvat comes back all the way like the fact that he's in frame 
is not evidence that he blew his assignment. It's that he was the guy working to get there. It's like, you know what, you know what's the equivalent of? It's like um when a guy gets posterized in basketball and everyone's like, oh. Mm. But like at least he jumped and tried to alter the shot. He lost, but it's better than staying on the ground. It's better than giving up on the play. Anyway. Well, and the thing of that, like, okay, here's the thing with Bo Horvat. We know who Bo, Bo Horvat is as a player, right? He's not going to be that ace defensive shutdown guy. So are there going to be defensive? But he's also, not, even- he's not, also not like a defensive liability. Like, people have taken the fact that, like, you know, I, I know I've spent a lot of time being like, that's not who Bo Horvat yeah. is, right? Like, I've used squirrel analogies on and on. But Bo Horvat's still, like, capable of playing matchup minutes. He's capable of handling a heavy load and coming out ahead. It's just that he's not an elite defensive center. That's okay. That's okay. There's not many. The word elite implies that there aren't many. You know, he's still good. That loss is not on him exclusively. He's not even symptomatic of this team's sort of lack of commitment from the forward group to defend that sort of leaves this well, defense out to drive. And, and Although that's part of it. Like, And that's the thing. Even if you did want to hang Bo Horv- the, the goals and the loss on Bo Horvat on Saturday, what about all the other bad losses? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, okay, maybe it was his fault this time, but it, it's not, it hasn't been his fault every time. No. So there's there's you, you can have as many criticisms of you as you want the, of one player's game on Saturday. The problems go so far beyond one or two players. I strongly suspect that the guy on a franchise, <laughs> sort of like historic franchise scoring tear, is not the guy you should be pointing all the fingers at at the moment. To be totally honest with you, um, but but it sort of comes back to this idea, like you know, and I think this is an important one, particularly in the wake of Elliot Friedman. Are we going to play any Friedman audio? Do you want to play some Friedman? Uh, audio maybe we'll... maybe in the next segment. Okay, cool. I don't know. So. But I think most people probably heard it by now. Probably heard about it. Yeah. Mammoth offer could shake yep. Quinn Hughes loose. Pedersen's the only untouchable. Not interested that's the, in a teardown or a rebuild. Yeah, that's the nuts and bolts of it. Yep. So, you know, that I think naturally poses a question to this marketplace, which is like, is this core group good enough, right? And I think this co- goes to the heart, too, of the rebuilding question and some of the, like, reflexive angst that that question triggers, not just for fans in this market, but clearly for the organization itself, mm-hmm. right? The obvious rejoinder to that is, why do you need to rebuild when you've got players like Hughes, Pedersen, and Thatcher Demko in particular, right? 26, 24, 23 in age, respectively. Um, Surely that's a good enough structure to build around. And I think the way you have to think about this is to consider the best core groups you can find in the NHL and how the Canucks stack up against it, right? So it's like, I think it's completely fair to go like, Pedersen, Hughes, Demko. Okay, how does that compare to... What Colorado's got, right? Which would be McKinnon, McCarr, and Rantanen. Sure. Right? You'd take Colorado's. Surely. Right? Yes. Uh, yes. Um, okay. So if that's true, then how do you beat Colorado? Right? Well, you better have a better supporting cast. You have you have to do better then around your core group than Landeskog, Nachushkin, Taves, Gerard, you know, and, and, go, on and down, go down the list. Right? Um would you would you take the Canucks group or do you take Dreisaitl, McDavid, and let's say Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Yeah, I would take McDavid and Dreisaitl. Right. So then you have to do better than Nurse, Hyman, Evander Kane, Yamamoto, Pugliarvi. And look, hey, that feels more That's realistic. more doable. That's a, that's a, a <laughs> climbable mountain. Right. So, but, but I mean, the point is, is if you take the Canucks starting pieces, are we talking, like, can I give you 10 teams before you take Vancouver's? 
Robertson, Haskinen, and Hints. Yeah, you take Dallas. You do? Without even blinking. Without even blinking. I think so. Okay. Am I wrong? Connor, Ehlers, Hellebuck. Ooh. That's a decision for me. Okay, that's a decision. That, that's a decision. So we found, I'd have, we to, found dig, I'd have to dig into that. I we found our level. But I mean, I mean, Toronto, Matthews, Marner, Nylander. You take, oh, you Toronto. take Toronto. Yeah. I mean, Barkov, Kachuk, Ekblad. Yeah, you take Florida. Florida. Point, Kucherov, Hedman. Yep. Tampa. So I'm, I, but we could go through this exercise. Like, I think we could do at least 12. I would think. I would think. Panarin, Zabanajad, Fox. You would take New York. Right. So, I mean, we can, like... Yeah. So, how do you become the best around that core? Well, you have to have a better supporting cast then. Like, you better have a championship-caliber supporting cast. You better have better players, more efficient contracts, like, higher depth of talent than the other teams. And how do you achieve that? Like, so, how do you achieve that when you've got (laughs) your supporting cast is locked up long-term and is aging, right? And and doesn't have value. Like, doesn't have value to trade. Well, well and that's why they've they've kind of discovered that and internalized that. And per Elliot Friedman reporting on 32 Thoughts today, kind of as a direct result of that, now you're in a position where you have to consider trading, in Elliot Friedman's words, at least one core piece, and that's outside of Elias Patterson because he's the untouchable. Okay. That, that, that's where they stand. So so then, then, like, then you're saying, then you're saying you do not have a core that you can win a cup with. Like, if you're doing that, the conclusion naturally, like, the only reason to be exploring trading a core piece is we don't have a core capable of winning a cup. Or are you getting there because we don't have the flexibility to surround a core group that's, like, average to above average with sufficient pieces to overcome the fact that they're still not an elite core relative to some of what our competitors are icing? I mean, this is how it has to be thought of. Like, you want to be one of 32. That's that's the goal. You want to be first place. You want to be the champs. You want to be Argentina. Right? Like, that's that's what we're doing here still? Yeah. Is it? It should be. Okay. Okay. I mean, I just... You, <laughs> I think some evidence that the organization's thinking about it in this manner would, would be helpful. Would, would really go a long way. And And look... Some evidence in terms of what's said wouldn't be sufficient. Like we need no, to see, we need thing. to see it, action. That's like the first step or a step, but it, it has to then the action has to back it up, right? And that's that again. Keep coming back to the JT Miller signing, right? Well, or the that, reaction to the Bo Horvat news over the past two weeks. Like you know, it becomes reported credibly that that's trending toward uh, Bo Horvat being dealt eventually, right? And what's the market's reaction? No chance. This or- organization will never try to start player for value. Man, if you're never trading a star player for value in a, in a hard cap league with fully guaranteed contracts, that is bad news. You need to be willing to make hard decisions in this league today. And this organization hasn't been, right? Like, I think that's more than anything what, what this comes back to. Like, to be the best in an efficiency contest, hard cap league with fully guaranteed contracts, like, you need to be, re- it's really hard. Like, it's really hard. You have, you have to make hard decisions. It's really hard to be bad in this league, and it's really hard to be great in this league. That's what I said in the first segment, right? The number one thing I would want to hear is just a willingness to make hard decisions, to 
we know it's going to be painful. We know it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard, but we're willing to do it. And, and as I said, talk is cheap, right? I get that. But at least say it. At least say it rather than saying the other stuff. Then maybe you follow through, maybe you don't. But like as a baseline thing, just put it out there as the expectation that you're willing to make those hard decisions. Yeah. Well, and I even think grappling with the fact that they're hard decisions. You know, yeah. I, I think one of the least helpful reflexes that we have in this market is someone will say something, you know, we, we dealt with it a couple weeks ago where I was saying like, look, if you're going to be rebuilding, there can be no sacred cows. Like you have to go into it willing to trade, in my view, Pedersen and Hughes, because it might take that. I'm mm-hmm. not saying you look to do it. I'm saying you, you have to be willing to reset entirely. Um, because if, you, if you're not, then you're going to f- come up against the conversations where it's like, can the fan base stomach losing Luke Shen? And it's like, no, 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 you got to go way bigger than that in terms of your mindset if you're if you're ever going to do this right. I think more than anything, we're at a point where, like, what I'd love to see is the organization begin to explain, like, look, there's a cost. There's a cost to doing anything in this league, right? Like, there's a cost to being great. And that cost can be years of pain. Like, that cost might be being willing to take a step back on the – club's 20% playoff chances for this season. It might be losing a few more games over the next two months. It might be a couple trade deadlines where you see your favorite player dealt for for futures and assets. It might be some unsexy stuff that maybe doesn't help you juice season ticket sales, but ultimately puts you in a better position to build a decade of really fun hockey. Because it's cool to be a really good hockey team. It's great. It would be so much fun. And the thing I keep coming back to is, you know, what are all of the reasons, all of the reasons, we got to take a quick break, but all of the reasons you would avoid a rebuild, right? The things you're scared of happening, long playoff droughts, right? A losing culture developing around the team, fans getting frustrated, wasting good years from star players. Those are all happening. Those are all happening. So why not try to make them happen for a purpose? Why not try to make them happen with a payoff at the end? Because right now there is no payoff waiting right now 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line keep getting your thoughts and we'll take a quick break we'll turn our attention to tonight's game uh, Gemma Carson Smith is going to join us in the final segment of the show as well more Canucks talk on the way it's Sportsnet 650 650 brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net, and 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, earlier in the show, uh, Tambier said, "Unlike or Red Robin is great value. The Canucks are not right now. So <laughs> there you go, Tambier, standing well, up for the good name of Red Robin, my former employer. I mean, they are, they Look, are, they are, they are even money today. Pick them straight. Pick them at home against the twenty-second place point percentage team in mm-hmm. the NHL. Now they won't have Elias Pettersson tonight. Bruce Boudreau confirmed. Yep. Brock Besser will return." Maybe maybe a little bit flu-ridden, right? Like, they might be sick based on the fact that we've seen some players drop out, right? I mean, there might be some illness working its way through this roster. 
but nonetheless, look, even money at home against the Blues, not bad. Sure. Or is it, I mean, is it a fade on know. the Canucks? The fact that you lose Elias Pettersson and are still even money yeah. against the Blues I mean, feels it, like a pretty significant. It feels like a fade on the Blues. feels like a significant fade from the Blues. More than anything. It's like, the, it's like, are the Canucks hosting the Vikings? <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Um. Yeah. I mean, the Blues. I don't know. I, as we talked about, they. It seems I would have to bet on the Canucks, the Preds, and the Blues finishing in a pretty tight cluster in terms of points percentage at the end of the season. That would be my bet, right? That they're all going to be within I don't know four or five points of each other. That feels like the Canucks peer group. So hey, you're at home, even without Elias Pettersson, you're playing one of your peer teams. Yeah. Okay. That seems feels about right. Even money. Good teams can lose good players and win, right? Like the. I mean, the Jets didn't have Nick Ehlers. The Jets have only had Nick Ehlers for three games, and he's their best skater. Like, make no mistake, people, people, people use too fine a line on it, and they'll be like, he's, you know, been, was their best skater two years ago until Kyle Connors emerged. Nick Ehlers is the best skater. He's and really I, good, and I say that as a huge fan of Kyle Connors, like one of my favorite players to watch in the league. But Nick Ehlers, I, I mean, he's their best skater. They've had him for three games. They're still what? One point back of the stars in the central. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get a quick update from uh, Bruce Boudreau. As you mentioned, Elias Patterson will not return tonight. Brock Besser is set to return. Uh, here's what else Bruce Boudreau had to say after an optional skate. So no lineup notes from us in terms of line combinations or anything. But uh, here is Boudreau talking to the media after the game day skate at Rogers Arena. I do. He's uh, he's sick. He's not going to be playing tonight. Besser back on the ice. Is he an option for you? Yep. Hmm. What do you need to get back to in your team game coming off of the game against Winnipeg? Well, I think, you know, I mean, quite honestly, I mean, for the season, we've got to be start finding a commitment to playing defensive hockey because we're not going to be able to score four goals every game and win. So, I mean, it, it would be nice to be able to limit teams to one and two goals and and see where we end up after that. So that's, uh, uh, that's what we'd like to see. You look at that road trip you guys had in Colorado and Vegas, especially when you guys played so well. Is it does that feel like it was a mirage? Like how 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 have you explained the sort of step back you've had from that? Well, I mean, from that, I mean, I thought we had a really good game in Calgary too. But I mean, uh, it's it seems like it's the home games we haven't been very very good. And believe me, I mean, you want to start winning your home games. I mean, you want to start winning the games in front of your fans and everything else. And, and it's something we talk about all the time. I mean, uh, I don't have an answer to the problem of why we haven't uh, in our four la- our last four losses here. I mean, we've, you know, we've only scored two goals and, uh, or three goals, sorry. And that's, uh, uh, and I don't know, we've lost 5-1, 5-1, 5-1, and 3 nothing. I think, out of the four, four games. So, um, I... Uh, we're trying to find answers for that. It's uh, not the easiest thing because, uh, um, you know, when you finish your morning meetings and, and your morning skate, you feel real good about the, the upcoming game. But we haven't had that luck. So uh, hopefully tonight uh, that'll change a little bit. Both thought maybe it was a case of the guys just being guilty of overthinking it at home. I mean, I almost took that to mean are the guys a little bit nervous coming into a home game. Do you think it's anything like that? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, nobody likes to get booed and everything else and and uh, so uh, maybe that is something uh, for some individuals I don't think it should be but uh, if we go out and do what we're supposed to do and you know we should be able to have some success 
With that being said, how important is it to have a strong start then, just being engaged early on? Because that really hasn't been the last couple of games. Ever. Yeah, I mean, first period uh, since I've been here, it's been a bone of contention with uh, with this team about the first periods not being very good. And uh, when they are good, we usually have success. So hopefully tonight is is a night that uh, we come out of the gate uh, flying like we did in Calgary. What have you liked about the Ethan Bear Queen Hughes pairing? No, sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't. Uh, so I mean, it's you know when you're average, when you're near the bottom of the league in goals against. I mean, you move them all around to find out uh, to, to find the good pairings, and and it might be on a nightly basis that you find these things. But the consistency has been our big problem all year long. Do you have any idea when you'll get Colin Delia back? Well, he's had had a baby this morning, so I assume uh, it'll be before uh, we go to Edmonton. When you look at St. Louis, you know, in your prep, do you see a team that's maybe having some of the same struggles that you guys are? All I see is a Stanley Cup potential team. Every time I look at them, uh, they've, you know, I picked them to win the Cup last year. I look at their, they're heavy, they're big, they're strong, they're experienced, and when they got everything going, they're a very difficult team. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux before his team plays the St. Louis Blues. 7.30 puck drop tonight here on 6.50, uh, giving them some shine despite how they have performed so far this year. Boudreaux uh, pumping the tires a little bit of the St. Louis Blues before they clash tonight. 6.50, 6.50 is the Dunbar Lumber text. I didn't think it was interesting. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the just general performance at home. I'm not a big typically like home versus road performance guy you know what I mean like the splits of well their power play is it's 10th in the league at home but it's only 22nd in the league on the road it's like I don't know that's probably just random I, I'm the biggest I never use splits yeah never and I it's can, like I can't do the splits in real life I don't use them in my analysis yeah I'm not into it either it's usually just small sample size I, I, For, I if I, nothing else I'm always interested to hear them so long it's, as you're not in like road or home power play splits or something like that. Yeah, I'm interested to hear them. I don't even. I don't even. I'm, I'm not even saying I'm buying into the idea that there's something happening with the home performances. Just from a what the record is, it's striking how many really poor performances there have been at home. Right. Like, like it was our, our colleague Bick on Twitter after the Saturday loss. They've already had four five-one defeats at home. They've had another five-two-one in there. They've had a three-nothing one in there. Like. There's been a lot of tough nights at Rogers Arena for this team so far this year. Yeah, there have been. But there's also been some, like, I would say two of their best performances of the season came against Los Angeles and Pittsburgh, and Mm -hmm. those were home Those were at home. Yep. So, you know, I don't know. I think this team has looked good on the road, and they've looked bad on the road. I think they've looked good at home, and I think they've looked bad at home. I think this team's looked good overall, and they've looked bad overall. They're the everything bagel team. <laughs> the more you try and figure them out, the more obvious it becomes that they're just not very good and they're not very bad. They're, they're, we, we have to update it now. They're the, uh, the Red Robin Caesar salad. Yeah. Yeah. They're the everything bagel Caesar salad. They've got everything bagel croutons. Maybe that's the <laughs> there key. There you go. No, but they, they truly, like, the results happen to them. The results happen to them. It it is striking, I think, how much it seems to depend on what the other team does. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can't make their own luck. They can beat a tired team. They don't have a baseline. They don't have a baseline. And so you're always going to see this team that will frustrate. Like, 
if you're watching these games emotionally reacting to wins and losses, you will have moments where you convince yourself that there's something going on and you will have moments where you give up all hope and despair. And what I'd strongly caution is or, or advise, and I don't mean to be a jerk about it. I don't mean to talk down or, 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 you know, lecture or whatever. I'm just saying like, seriously, at some point, at some point, like I'm, I'm sick of this conversation turning. I'm sick of the twists and turns that all lead to the same place. You know, like we know just, just, we know, just watch, just watch. Don't look at the results. Don't get too worked up about the goals or the, or the goals against or the goals for. You know, just watch. Just watch how this team controls play. Watch how the good teams that come in control play. Watch how they activate from the back end. Watch how all five guys support what the team is doing or trying to do both with the puck and without. This team doesn't do that. And so they're going to win some games, they're going to lose some games, and at the end of the year, they're going to be somewhere between 88 and 92 points. That's it. That's it. That's who they are. Uh, it is interesting, and again, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I have noticed just today a lot more texts that are at least willing to consider the idea of training guys like Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, right? And Tyler no, texts in. Until, until they have, a, you know, until Quinn Hughes has a four-point night on the power play yeah. and steps up in Pettersson's absence, you know, I mean, or in, like until this team wins three overtime games against, I don't know, the Panama... Panamanian national team and also the Arizona Coyotes, right? Like the bar is so low. This team, this team can ha go on these mini runs and the whole conversation around this market changes. It does. And it changes in the national media. Yeah. Too. Does it though? Yes. Did it change that much with the, w the wins Completely. against in the overtime wins? Yes, it did. Are you kidding me? I this team, this team won nine of 13. They've, they've still won nine of 14. If they win tonight, people will say they've won 10 of 15. 10 of 15, and you're saying tear this team down? That's how it's going to go. That's like, and then, but but of course, if they lose tonight, then it's going to be like, oh, you know, if they like. I will say, it feels like we're still waiting for the flashpoint moment in terms of the bottom falling out, right? And I think. I don't think it's going to. No, no, that's the thing. And I think you look at what happened last year, right? And it was a debacle. Saturday night against Pittsburgh that leads to the changes. And I feel like there's a segment of fans that are waiting for that same thing to happen, right? And every bad Saturday night performance now feels like, oh, is this going to be the one? I don't think it's coming. No. I don't think it's coming where it's going to be, you know, you wake up on Sunday and there's these massive changes that have come. I think it's going to be, we're keep we're packing away. We're staying the course. We're, we're always building, right? And then maybe there'll be a trade or, or two at the trade deadline. Maybe there won't. But I think that big dramatic reaction to a poor performance that we saw last season that brought in this, that ended up bringing in this management group. I, I don't know that that's coming. Which, by the way, is fine. Yeah, you know, you like, don't need you don't need to wake up after a bad loss and trade Bo Horvat because you had a bad loss. That's you, not how you should do it. You don't want to overreact. I no. mean, you you know, the Pittsburgh game caused this organization to make a knee jerk move. Right? They weren't ready. Look, they should have Benning, both Jim Benning and Travis Green should have been let go weeks before they were. But then when they ultimately were, the team needed to win the press conference, so they needed to go get Bruce Boudreaux. So they signed this contract, which didn't make sense with the president of hockey operations they were already discussing. The president of hockey operations doesn't appear to have been fully briefed on the length of that contract. Um, even if he was consulted, as was the story at the time, it doesn't seem like he's a big fan of the approach. 
right? And and so you get to this point where this season's been sort of marred too. You know, that was a knee-jerk reaction. Like, I don't care that the Bruce Boudreaux bump was fun, soaring the Canucks' draft position, maybe preventing this team from making some of the changes they should have. That process was bad, and the outcome has been bad. Like, it has. I don't think there's, unequivocally, the way that that played out was not helpful. I have no appetite to see this team make further knee-jerk reactions. I don't think the whims of the crowd should dictate what you're doing. What's the Sam Pollock quote? Think like a fan, Mm. you'll soon be sitting among them. Right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's (laughs) There's a lot of work to do here, and the business of doing it is not going to be fun. It's 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 going to require a ton of disciplined maneuvers. It's going to require this club really thinking in terms of accumulation and value. And everything else that that comes before it before we get to that point is going to be lipstick on the proverbial pig. Very seriously. This is this is baked in now. This is what happens. You cannot last in this 88 to 92 point range forever in a market this intelligent and this passionate before people get fed up and and that's where we're at right now like we're we're there we're already there it's just going to take a little bit of time i think just like just like how difficult this team is to disassemble for it to really like become conventional wisdom all right so you're still going to have these people who are like or these people these these arguments that like you can't trade this guy you can't trade that guy this core is still worth building around and it might be but the way the way of going about it is so dramatic Right, like the, the the action required to ever actually capitalize in the prime years of Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko is so dramatic that it's almost indistinguishable from what we'd call a rebuild, anyway. Well, that's the point I've been making. Yeah, and you're right. That, I've made that point when a you're lot. Right, you're you right. You can you can rebuild around those players. Again, that's what a rebuild used to mean. A rebuild didn't mean we're going to try to be the worst team in the league for three years. That's that that. When I was growing up, that's not what a rebuild meant. Teams rebuild all the time, but they kept good young players while they were doing it. That's still what I think of as a rebuild. So you can do that. But you're right. You have to take drastic action. You have to be willing to make significant moves. You can't just be passive about it. And the longer you delay those moves, the harder, in fact, it becomes to build a winning team around Pedersen and Hughes. And then you you do have to start thinking about the really, really difficult, deep, painful decisions which would be trading those guys, right? Like, I'm still, you know, the untouchable conversation is an interesting one because you, you throw out the word untouchable and you always get the response, well, hey, Wayne Gretzky was traded. There's no untouchables. There's it's, no true untouchables. It's also just such a good word. There's something about, <laughs> there's something about like, the idea of an untouchable. You know what I mean? Like, there's something about it that I don't know why. Fans find it en- endlessly engaging. Media find it endlessly engaging. Like, there's, there's something about, like, you know, you bring him up on a trade call, and the and the and the rival general manager is like, <gasps> "Hands off! How dare you!" <laughs> like this conversation is over. That person's absolutely untouchable. It's like, oh, yeah. how, how do people find this out? Like, <laughs> how how do the calls go? Whereby a player is does dec- the word get used? No, he's untouchable. No, obviously not. Hands off. Yeah. No, and there, here's the you thing. Actually, all teams declare their untouchables in a, in a group text <laughs> yes. featuring in a like Gary LeBron and, and Elliot Friedman at the start of the year. The fans who bring up the thing where, well, there's a price. you'd there, There's always a price. Every player has a price. That's true. I think what tips them into this kind of, you know, goofy, untouchable uh, definition is the price 
that it would require to get the team to trade the player is so implausibly high that no team is going to match it, mm. right? It's implausible to think that a team is going to step up to match it. And I think that's still the case with Elias Pettersson, right? So whether you think they should be considering trading him or not, I don't see a team stepping up to make it make sense for the Canucks. Mm. The interesting thing with Quinn Hughes, and it's kind of a cliche thing, but I do think there's there's a reason it keeps getting brought up, is there is one team where you can at least build a case in your head why they would be willing to meet an implausibly high price. Right, so that's the interesting thing with Quinn Hughes, and I almost wonder if it was a there's a there's an element of like making New Jersey aware of that when you're saying when well, you know what I mean, getting that out there. So it's like, baiting, hey, baiting the hook. Hey, I, you, we know you have his brothers, and we're not saying we're just saying, yeah, the price is really high, but of all the teams, you guys might do it. You guys might do it. That's that more than anything was the takeaway for me on the Quinn Hughes thing was I there's have- one team. That could be willing to step up to the plate. I have no appetite for watching Quinn Hughes key the fastest team on this in on earth. You know, like I, that. I have no appetite for that. I I doubt many Canucks fans do. But but look, if you're rebuilding, that's something you'd consider. If you're yeah, here's you know what? Are we talking enough about the fact that uh, J T. Miller wasn't included among the untouchables? That's another really interesting point. I mean. And the thing <laughs> that that's what struck me, like the Hughes takeaway to me is almost secondary. The JT Miller thing is fascinating because, again, you use the word passive, right, to describe it. That's not a situation where you can be passive. Either you feel really good about the contract and you're saying, we love it. Okay, he's not untouchable because every player is a price, but we love it. We're really excited to be paying him. Or you're thinking it's a problem and you're trying aggressively to get off of it. But just kind of being open, like, well, maybe somebody will call and and take him off our hands. That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I often say winning is not a passive activity in the NHL. And the Miller outcome, right, is sort of proof positive of that, right? You don't make the proactive deal before the deadline. Uh, You don't make the trade at the draft. You back into this extension. And now he's not untouchable? Now he's not untouchable a year later? I mean, that to me, that's like a textbook example of how to take a valuable asset and make them into a distressed one. That's that's Twitter, basically. And, <laughs> and again, it just comes down to either you think you've got a really good deal on your hands and you're excited, or you should be aggressively trying to move yeah, it. Yeah, or you have buyer's remorse four months later and should be trying to move it. Yeah. Which, by the way, and also- hey, that's, that's a tough decision. That's tough to swallow. That's tough to stomach. It's tough to admit. It's all of those things. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. That doesn't mean it would be the wrong thing to do. And it does also doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Right? Like, I think that would be a really hard thing to come back from in this market. Truly. For, for a new management group, I think that would be a really hard thing to come back from. It still might be the right decision, though. It, it might. But like, yes. But from a self-preservation perspective, I get it that. is a very difficult one. That, that one is. in particular, considering how much heat has been on it, how oft debated it has been on both sides and still is frankly right because JT Miller's a really good player I think that would be I think that would be a really tough sell just just more than the usual like you know um it's hard to admit mistakes tough sell I think that would be a really tough sell 
Uh, Ari Lekatari texts in, the new GM of the Vancouver Canucks is Ted DiBiase. Everyone has a price. That's a great reference uh, from nice Ari in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Keep your thoughts coming in. Uh, Gemma Carson Smith is going to join us on the other side for her regular weekly off-the-wire segment. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. Final segment of the day here on a Canucks game day. They'll play the Blues at 7.30. Of course, full game day coverage here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We're live from the Kintech studio. And, of course, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And we are now joined, as we are every Monday here on the show, by our friend from the Canadian press, Gemma Carstens-Smith. Gemma, thanks as always. How are you? I'm wonderful. Happy holidays, my friend. Yeah, happy holidays to you as well. I hope you're doing all right in the snow today. And, I mean, hey, just another, you know, quiet, run-of-the-mill, uneventful weekend for the Canucks, huh? Yeah, yeah nothing happening around this team ever. <laughs> Never anything to report on, never anything to ask questions about. Uh, Oh, dear. Anyways, um, I'm looking at, uh, you know, we got the list of clips we're going to run in our Off the Wire segment here. And the first one, I'll let you tee it up in just a second. But it's from Bo Horvat talking about uh, the details of his contract negotiations getting out. And I just had to remind myself, oh, yeah, that was less than a week ago. That was less than a week ago. (laughs) I know. We were were talking about it last week. The statement hadn't even come out. He had talked to the media. Like, it seems like it was about six months ago. But, guys, that was six days ago. Yeah, it is absolutely wild how much transpires on a weekly basis with this team. So, anyways, as I said, we're going back to last Tuesday. Uh, Set us up for what we're going to hear from Bo Horvat. Yeah, so the team put out that statement last Tuesday on Horvat's behalf, saying he wasn't going to be speaking about his contract or his future with the team. And then less than an hour later he was surrounded by microphones in the locker room talking about all of that. And here's what he had to say. No, I want to be a Vancouver Canuck. I'm a Vancouver Canuck right now uh, until they say otherwise. And for me, it's, um, you know, I have have nothing but respect for this organization and I'm very loyal to this, loyal to this organization and I'm going to continue to do so. How did you react to how everything unfolded with Bo Horvat and specifically with the reporting on Monday and the statement on Tuesday? And what do you think it says about where this situation is headed, Gemma? Uh, I think it says that the situation is headed for Bo Horvat leaving Vancouver. Um, I don't think that I really don't think he expected the news to get out. I, I think that he really thought that this was he, he used the word confidential several times. That he wanted to keep it confidential, but he, he felt uh, a little bit guilty and apologized to his teammates about how everything got out in the media. He, he really didn't want to talk about it. And um, we've seen through his play this season that it hasn't uh, been a distraction for him on the ice. But it's obviously been something that he and his family have been uh, thinking about. Uh, worrying about um, all of those things off the ice. So uh, what struck me about this particular clip is what is how he was speaking about the team. It's obvious that this whole situation isn't what he initially wanted, but it sounds like he knows like he's not going to be here for the long term. Gemma, how do you think Horvat handled it overall? Was it as Horvat a performance as you can remember? It was very Horvatian. <laughs> um, 
I think he's 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 someone who's always come out, faced the media, um, and, and done what a captain should do, right? Like he's he's been that guy. He's been that kind of um, bit of a, a backbone for this organization uh, in terms of dealing with us uh, crazy reporter vultures, uh, and and he's. He did it again, right? Like he said in that statement, "I'm not going to talk about it," and then he did just that. And he was he was gracious. He said that he's always been loyal to this organization. Organization. They continue to be loyal to the organization. He's focusing on hockey. He said all the right things. He'd make a great politician one day. But um, I, I I think it's hard for him because it he he knows that just because he said all of this, it doesn't mean that the talk is by any means going to stop. Speculation about Horvat's future is going to continue to be a major discussion point in this market until that future is decided and probably long after that, too. Did you read anything into the club issuing a statement on his behalf? I thought it was really interesting because we didn't see it a few weeks before when when the stuff happened uh, with Besser and Besser's uh, uh, all the news came out about Besser, Besser's agent uh, apparently being given um free reign to speak to other teams about a trade. So it's, it's interesting that we see it with one player and not another. And perhaps it's because he's the captain. I don't know how all of that transpired. I don't know if he asked the team to release a statement. I don't know if the team went to him and said, hey, we want to do this. But it's very interesting that it did happen. Um, I think that no one around that team wants to be talking about this. They want to be conducting this as quietly as possible. But like like I said, this is a major player in a in a very Canadian market, and we're not going to stop talking about it. So um, it's going to continue to be a, a point of uh, discussion going forward here. You know, and Gemma, you mentioned just how adept and experienced now Horvat is at handling, not this specific situation, but dealing with tough questions, dealing with the media attention, as you said, the vultures, your words, not mine, uh, in, <laughs> in the media. And look, if this is headed uh, for a an exit of Bo Horvat from the organization, we know it's going to be very, very difficult to replace him on the ice. Is it potentially going to be even more difficult to replace the element he brings in terms of answering questions and this kind of presence he has in the media for the Canucks? Yeah, I, I mean, do we have? Is there another guy in that locker room who who is as um, adept at at dealing with all of us? I mean, maybe Luke Shen, but there's talk that he's on his way out yeah. too. So, um, and. I think that will be a sad day for all of the reporters who cover this team because <laughs> we all love us some Luke Shen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it would definitely be a void not having Horvat um, there to answer questions or at least uh, talk to us when there are no answers. Surely, too, you can't have Luke Shen as captain. You know, like oh, at some yeah, point, yeah. you know, yeah. y- you need to have a major player, uh, I think. Um, but anyway, yeah. let's uh, let's yeah. get to your next clip, Gemma. <laughs> Speaking of um, not having answers to questions, there was another uh, Saturday night, another lackluster performance by these Canucks on home ice. Uh, Quinn Hughes was asked after the loss to the Jets about why the team has struggled to perform at Rogers this season, and here are his thoughts. Obviously, want to be a team that's hard to, hard to play against at home, and um, clearly we, we're not right now. And um, you know, we say it in here, say the same things. You know, we go to Colorado and Calgary and Vegas and these buildings and play really good hockey and um, just got to find a way to do it here. You know, Drance and I were kind of debating, is it just randomness why they've had these letdowns at home? Is, is there something actually happening? Obviously, Quinn Hughes looking for answers. But the thing that stands out for me is, I mean, whatever the reason, it has to be really concerning how frequently the product that you're selling your home fans is that disappointing at this point, Gemma. And 
it's the kind of losses as well. Yeah. How many 5-1 losses have we seen on home ice? This four. Season? Four already. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. Yes. And, like, that's, we're, there's only been 14 home games. That's, like, a lot. I'm yeah. not good at math, but that's a lot. Um, <laughs> and and we've seen the crowds dwindling at the home games. That game was a Saturday night, all-Canadian matchup, heading into the Christmas season, and it was by no means sold out. I don't care what the official attendance numbers say, there were a lot of empty seats. And so it's not great to be 14 games into the home season and already have seen multiple games where people are tossing jerseys and the team's getting booed off the ice as the final buzzer sounds. That's not good for your market. Um, and I, I don't think that continuing to have these kind of performances is uh, any way to uh, grow the fan base going forward here. Gemma, what's your sense of you know, we we've been debating it a little bit about how the conversation around this team seems to change even if they, you know, win a win a couple games beyond regulation against some of the worst teams in the league. Um what's your sense of how reactive at the moment this market is to this team or uh contrary to the point that I've been making, do you think this market actually knows what this team is by and large? This market is so hungry for hope. This market will eat up any glimmer of hope that they see. Uh, an overtime loss, or I'm sorry, an overtime win over the San Jose Sharks, oh heck yes, let's plan the parade route. Like, it's, it's that kind of hunger in this market because there hasn't been any success for so long, right? People are people want to see this team succeed. Um, as long as much as um, us media folks get criticized for being negative, um, I think people just want to see some positivity around this team, and they're hungry for it. And so when when the team strings together three wins in a row, even if they're all overtime wins against pretty middling, if not um, bottom dwelling teams, they're they're gonna pounce on that. But I I think you're right, Drenz. I think that we we all know what this team is. They can be a little Jekyll and Hyde. They're they're outscoring a lot of their problems on most nights. But when when they don't, the problems are really really glaring, and they were really really glaring on Saturday. And uh, so I I understand why home fans are frustrated. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that we don't see that frustration more often. In conversation with Gemma Carson-Smith from the Canadian Press here on Sportsnet 650. And yeah, as you said, we have a pretty good idea about what this team is, their identity or lack of identity right now. And and part of that is not great defensive performances. And I know that's uh, part of the subject of your next quote from Luke Shen here. Yeah, so uh, Shen was saying that they've been relying a lot on on goal scoring to get these 6-5 wins and that that's something that the team needs to work on going forward here. Uh, let's listen to his complete thoughts. As far as team defensive play, um, we, we haven't uh, we haven't closed out you know tight checking games besides maybe a couple here and there. But yeah, obviously, and that's the way it goes, especially down the stretch too. You're not going to outscore teams, you know, for the most part six five or whatever. Especially you know after Christmas and heading on the stretch where you really kind of look up and see the standings, how tight things are. Teams tend to you know tighten things in defensively, so we obviously need to do a lot better than that ourselves. Are the struggles defensively, I mean, is it an effort thing and, a, you know, a, a mental preparation thing, or is it just kind of baked into the, the personnel on this team? I think the personnel is a huge part of it, but you can't deny that it's at least in part due to effort. Um, you see some of the defensive performances. You see some of the, the guys who just, like, can't commit to a back check, and you can't say that's not uh, about um, about mentality and about um, – 
boost the team's uh, mental readiness to play. So, yeah, I, I would say that it's a little bit of both, but the personnel is obviously, we, we've been talking about it since last season. Nothing, very little has changed. Even Bear has been um, good for this team. I mean, like for this team, I guess he's been good, um, but he hasn't solved anything. There's still glaring, glaring issues, and uh, they're not going away anytime soon. Gemma, beyond personnel, you know, you see the way that the Jets gain the blue line, button hook, pop pass, odd man chance, right? And it was just like every five minutes they managed to pull off that. Um, as much as the personnel are limited, why do you think this team looks so lackadaisical defensively? Like, can you put your finger on it? I, I mean, should we use the S word? That that whole structure word? Yeah. Has that been thrown in out enough? You worried me for a second. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. No, this is a family program. Definitely, definitely not. <laughs> should, should we use the CRTC word? <laughs> yeah. We're going to get Dom yelling in our ears. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, it, it's definitely partly a structure thing, but like, it can't be all structure because this team has has shown that they can do it right. They, they were good against the Flames. They, yes, they, they um, had that lapse that we see in every single Canucks game this season uh, where they let the other team back in, but they, they defended well against a team that has some, some firepower and they've done the same against top teams in this league. Like look at how they performed against Vegas. So the fact that they're not doing it on a nightly basis, the fact that they're ninth in the league in goals per game, but they're also third worst in the league for goals against per game, like that's those numbers shouldn't jive. You shouldn't you shouldn't be um, at the best in the goals for and, and top third of the league in the goals for category, and then also at the very bottom in the goals against category. That's just your team um, showing that they can't play together. Gemma, you know, I know we don't have a clip uh, lined up here right now, but I mean, obviously some of the biggest, most impactful, most talked about audio from the Canucks over the past week was from Patrick Alvine uh, on Saturday on After Hours on Hockey Night in Canada. And, you know, the thing is, in classic Alvine fashion, he didn't have a lot to say. And that more than anything seems to have rankled a lot of Canucks fans and certainly people texting in to our show today. What did you think of Alvine's interview on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday? Yeah, you know how I said that Bo Horvat would make a great politician? Yeah. I scratch that. Patrick Alvin is a great politician. <laughs> um, he should be in Parliament right now. Well, um, the one thing I'll push back on that, Gemma, is that I think politicians can make you feel like they've said something of substance. For right? sure. That's, <laughs> yes, that's a very good point, actually. And then you're just listening back to the tape, and you're like, wait. Wait, wait a I second. Yeah. any answers whatsoever. With Alvin, yeah. it was just kind of like, no, you're, ju- you're just saying words. And the words sound good. Like, he's a very eloquent man who... Um, uh, he seems very passionate, but he's just literally not saying anything. Um, and I get why people are frustrated because people are looking for answers. And I think it frustrates people that the players don't have answers, the coach doesn't have answers, and the GM doesn't have answers. It's not often that we hear from Patrick Alvine. I mean, there was that stretch a couple of months ago where we literally heard from him like five days in a row. But that that was an aberration. That's not mm. normal. Um, and so when 
on those rare occasions that we do hear from upper management from the front office and there aren't any answers there's no it's hard to see the path forward you wonder if there is a path forward that's frustrating for these fans because like i said they're they're looking to cling on with talent to any glimmer of hope and you don't give them anything that's hard for a fan Gemma, where do you think this fan base, where's your sense of where this fan base is at in terms of sort of buying the hope that this organization is selling in in whatever version it's coming? Do you think it's falling on deaf ears or do you think that there's fans still, you know, is the honeymoon over for the Alvin Rutherford crew? Yeah, I think the honeymoon is very quickly coming to an end. I think that they're like back on the plane and it didn't go very well and they're probably not really talking very much. Um, it's one of those honeymoons where you're like, ooh, awkward. How not where is- you want to be after a honeymoon. No, 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 no. It was, it was not Oof. a restful vacation full of fun and um, relaxation. There was a lot of like bickering um, and um, infighting, you know, um, kind of like the first season of White Lotus, that couple that was on their honeymoon. Hopefully it doesn't end the same way. Wow. I'm just picturing like one of them like blew up at a waiter in a really awkward way, and then the other one's like, "Oh boy, what's this? What's behind this? What's happening?" And the mother-in-law, yeah, yeah. the mother shows up. That's I was about to bring that up. So good, Uh, Gemma. I think we'll wrap it up on that note. That was a fantastic analogy to end things with. I, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks as always for joining us. Thank you guys so much. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy that Christmas, is Gemma. Gemma Carson-Smith doing a great job covering the Canucks for the Canadian press, sharing her thoughts on a variety of subjects and bringing the heat, bringing the fire, as Gemma always does here on our show. Uh, this text comes in from Colin, who says, I used to be the eternal optimist with this team. I always saw a chance. I've had enough of this mediocrity. I want to see major changes. Since 2011, we've been trying to retool on the fly, and it's failed miserably until ownership accepts a major hover- overhaul to rebuild. To uh, a, a full rebuild is required. We are doomed to mediocrity. The contract offer to Bo tells me that ownership still thinks there is a chance. That is from Colin. And... You know, your question about how the narrative changes from, you know, based on three a, a three-game winning streak or a three-game three game losing streak, Drance, we've had a couple people text in along the lines of, you know, the people you're talking about, Drance, uh, this one says, I think Drance is talking more about casual fans who get giddy easily. The more knowledgeable fans know what this team is. And I, I don't deny that the element of what you're talking about exists. It obviously does. I do think we're seeing more and more people along the lines of what Colin just texted in. I used to be in the camp that would get excited about that three-game winning streak, but I no longer am. Now, and you might say, well, wait until the next three-game winning streak and see if you're back in that camp. Or, But I do think that, you know, we look, we don't have, like, granular polling data about Canucks fans no. or anything. But I think we have anecdotal evidence based on a lot of time talking to the yes. fans in this market. And I, I do think there's been a significant shift to... I'm not going to get fooled again here. I'm not. I got, I've bought in. I've bought in in the past, and it's hurt me. And I'm not going to allow myself to get soccered in. I'm not saying everyone. I'm not saying it's unanimous. Obviously, it's never going to be unanimous. I do think we're seeing an attitude shift in that direction this season. We may be, but I look the way that the conversation around this team takes place. Right, the reaction. I mean, you saw it two weeks ago. Two, 10 days ago, not even two weeks ago, 10 days ago, there was like real hand-wringing and pushback in this marketplace, real active 
passionate conversations in online spaces about whether or not this club could afford to lose Luke Shen. Yep. And now there's this, you know, fans are, what are you talking about? Fans are ready for a rebuild. In fact, they're calling for it. Well, I don't know. Okay. Got to trade Luke Shen ten, if that's going to happen. Ten days ago, it was like a hot take in this market that to say that this club, you know, can't afford to not monetize a player like Luke Shen. I mean, so, and and I think it's reflected in the national media conversation. Before before the Winnipeg Jets loss, right? The team had won what was a nine, nine of, of 13. thirteen, nine of thirteen. No national, no no broadcast, no panel conversation about this team didn't include the lines of like. This team has stabilized their results. They're beginning to play better hockey. You know, you heard Jamal Mares be like, I don't think it's the most sustainable way of playing, but are you seeing some resilience from this group? And of course you are. This group is both resilient and fragile at the same time. That's who they are. They're the everything bagel, right? So, you know, uh, one of the notes in 32 Thoughts was the Canucks have 96 7 points, a 97-point pace under Bruce Boudreau. In line with the playoff bar in the West, feels like the team should have 30 fewer based on all the drama. Right, which which is an implication that maybe this market's a, a little bit, um, you know, neurotic in terms of its reaction to its hockey team. That maybe things aren't quite as bad as the noise around the team feels. Well, it says here that the noise is worse. Like the noise is not as bad as what this team deserves, frankly, considering how stuck they are in in my formulation anyway. So you know, I think the anecdotal evidence points to a market that's you know still very reactive to outcomes that the way that mediocrity looks in an increasingly volatile league isn't something that we're we've digested yet it's a different thing than it used to be right back in the old days first of all an 88 point team or a 90 first back in the old days a 92 point team was almost always a playoff team yes okay first of all right 92 points doesn't get you in anymore probably right so that's the first thing the second thing is an 88 point team was still pretty good. Like that was still that was probably a top 20 team for sure in the NHL, right? The now 88 points, you're 25th, 24th. Right? It's just the way that this league operates is different. Plus, this is a streakier league now. This is a league where you really do get on these wild runs, these wild vacillations. Uh, teams are closer to one another in terms of parity, in terms of every team has a flaw. And so you're, you're seeing these fact is, is that a team can win 10, 15 in a row or, or 13 of 15 and still finish the league with like, still finish the year with like 68 points. In fact, getting to 68 points and being really bad almost requires that you have a stretch where you're not that terrible. Mm. We see it every year. The Ted Nolan Sabres, my favorite example. They barely lost a game in the month of December and they were truly one of the worst teams I've ever seen by a lot. The, the McDavid draft year, go look it up. Go look at their game log and see how they did in December. Like, streaks, I, I think we're not used to the fact that a team can win an incredible amount of games over 20 games and still be bad. Uh, I wanted to get th- this in. I promised Gerald and Abby texted in a question, and I responded to him in the inbox, but I, uh, I promised him I'd bring it up quickly on the show as well. He says, hey, guys, would you trade Pedersen and Hughes for the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft? And I said, yes. And then he said, do you think the team that had the pick would do that? And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> right? And I know it might seem like a drastic step to consider trading Pedersen and Hughes for that. But, yeah, if it was the number one pick on the board and it's Connor Bedard, Canucks super fan generational talent from North Vancouver, yes, I'm doing that 
absolutely. Seven days a week without even thinking about it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it, Drancer. But I don't think the other team Both Pedersen and Hughes. Full full reset. Full Both reset. guys. Yes. Go for number one overall. For Connor Bedard. In the 2023 NHL entry draft. Yeah. No other return. I'm doing that without blinking. Oh, man. That's a really good question. I'm doing it without blinking. I'm I, not saying it's... it's I, I'm definitely not... I'm definitely blinking. I'm definitely blinking a lot, like, in stunned sort of... Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to let that wash over me in the process. That I think I think you're right because you throw in... It's not just Bedard. It's also $15 million in cap yeah. space. But... And your franchise has a direction now. Everybody knows what you're doing. Yeah. You're building around Connor Bedard. You're resetting the decks in one move. Now, I don't think it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's fantasy hockey trade, but I, I promised Gerald I'd bring it up. I mean, I, I actually think for a fantasy hockey trade, it's a fascinating example. I, I, I can't even answer it yet. I think I need to think about it's it just, a little further. I don't you, mean to squirrel this. I just want to think about it further and give our friend the best possible answer. If you want to get your team on the tracks, boom, that trade does it. That's going to do it for us today. Canucks Blues 730 tonight here on Sportsnet 650. Keep it here for game day coverage all day on 650.